Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideau, joined as always by the great and powerful Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how are you? Good. I, um, being that we're going to do a real special, hopefully, even now, you know, hopefully all our shows are special. We try to make them special for you guys, but that we're going down a special road with mythical matchups of fighters of the past, future, present, whatever they are, but mythical, mostly of the past, of course, um, where the matches, because they were in different eras, they never took place, we could we could kind of have fun and see what would have happened, uh, at least in my mind, if those guys, those great fighters were ever matched. So since we're doing that, in honor of that special show that we're going to do about these mythical matchups, I wore this. And... Um, the great Joe Lewis special edition, special gift from Everlast. Yeah, it was, I mean, for me, we're going to talk about mythical matchups and great fighters, you know, in the history of the sport. Joe Lewis is one of them that you have to start with. For me, he's the greatest heavyweight of all time. Yeah, a lot of people are going to be like, Muhammad Ali's not? Well, he's number two. Uh, you know, you can't go wrong either one. But 25 title defenses, um, the greatest finisher, I think, uh, ever in the history of heavyweight boxing. He hurt you. You were done, gone, forget it. <laughs> so long. You got rid of you. Uh, you know, and, and fought in the biggest pressure fight of any athletic event in the history of athletics in the world, I think. You know, we talk about big pressure moments, whether it's the Golden State Warriors, whether it's the Chicago Bulls, whether it's the New England Patriots, Tom Brady, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, whether, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Douglas Tyson, whether it's, uh, you know, Pacquiao, Mayweather, whatever you want to throw in there. But there was never anybody who had, the world watching on his shoulders the way Joe Lewis did uh, on the eve of World War II when he had to fight a rematch with Max Schmeling after Joe Lewis had become heavyweight champ of the world and boxing was the biggest sport in the country, bigger than even baseball. And Joe Lewis is fighting in Yankee Stadium outdoors with the man who had knocked him out, the only man who had beaten him earlier in his career on the way up before he won the heavyweight title from Braddock. And here's Joe Lewis outdoors in the stadium with this man, Max Schmeling from Germany. And you have Hitler and, you know, his Aryan race and all this stuff saying he's going to take over the world, you know, you know that, that they are the superior race and they're going to, you know, dominate the world. And like I said, it's on the brink of World War II and... Here's Joe Lewis fighting a guy who Hitler has propped it up. And it was wrong because Schmeling was a good human being, but he was being used as a pawn by the Nazi party at the time. He had no choice. He'd be shot in two seconds. So he's being propped up, you know, as propaganda prop, propaganda with, with Hitler and the superior race and all this crap. And Joe Lewis got to straighten things out. Joe Lewis got to straighten things out. And you talk about these athletes today, and I'm not saying they don't feel precious, but, you know, they're getting hundreds of millions of dollars and, you know, my you know my fingernail is, is hurting. 
or something. I mean, I'm joking around, but I mean, they're getting all this money, and some of them handle pressure marvelously. Don't get me wrong, and classy, and everything else. But sometimes, what they think is pressure, you know, is is a is a blowing up a balloon at a kids' party. Uh, that's pressure compared to uh, what Joe Lewis was dealing with and living with. The president of the United States calls you up before a fight and says, Joe, you got to win this one for the good guys. That's significant, you know, and the whole world is watching. The whole world is watching. And this unlike is, a lot of team sports, this is just man on man. Yeah, and again, with the backdrop. Yep. With Hitler in the back, you know, where as as time goes on, he's going to try to conquer the world. And Joe Lewis is representing the other side. Think about that pressure. So anyway, that's why I have this jacket. That's not why just representing the other side, but for in in Hitler's eyes, it's his race against black man from America. It just has all the makings Everything. for uh, the most dramatic of stories. Yeah, that's why Joe Lewis is my man. There it is. That's a great one. So we're going to talk about some of the mythical matchups we would have loved to have seen had these guys been fighting in the same era. And a lot of the um, comparisons that I think people like to make, myself included, is to see. I wonder if uh, a young Mike Tyson in his prime, how he might do against some of the other great heavyweights out there that obviously didn't get to fight because they were coming up in a different era. But before we jump into that... A lot of people know that you trained Mike Tyson at one point. And before we get into the comparisons, I'd like for you just to share a little bit about your experience with Mike, just in terms of whatever you're comfortable sharing with. I know he came up to Catskill. Maybe you can just, for people who might not have read your book or don't know the backstory, maybe just shed a little bit of light on your interactions and your experience with Mike. Again, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, we will, uh, listen, we won't take too much time with it, but yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, you and Robin asked me to, uh, initially when we decided to do this episode, it was just going to be mythical matchups. We weren't going to go down this route of explaining my background with Tyson a little bit, but you guys decided that it might make sense, and I understand that. Uh, one of the things, I get, you know, we get right to the, right to the point that we seem to do in this show, and um, not worry about anything in between. We just worry about getting there and with how it feels and what it does and what people say, they can figure it out themselves. But we have the responsibility of saying what we feel is uh, is the truth and what, what needs to be said for the reasons that it needs to be said because it is the truth and uh, it's important. You know, a lot of people are going to, Probably the reason why I agreed to talk about Tyson a little bit here is that when I do the mythical matchups, I know there's people out there that think that if I say anything at all negative about Tyson, and listen, uh, you can love Tyson, you can love Joe Lewis, you can hate them. Uh, you know, that's what makes the, you know being a fan so great. It's your choice. Uh, your, your pick, your flavor, whatever it is you like. Nobody can stop you from that. Uh, but... A lot of people, when I do make these picks and when I do my analyzing of Tyson in the past, 
probably think and probably have stated before and have in some cases, I'm sure. You know, one of the things that I have that escapes me from a lot of things is um, internet illiterate, which, you know, which um, serves me well sometimes. I don't, you know, I don't know what you guys uh, are saying out there on the internet. I I just uh, hear about it if somebody tells me. So I'm a little bit, you know, kept away and protected from that. Uh, so I really don't care. I care about people. I care about their feelings. Um, and you care about the truth. But I care about, you know, my reputation that then uh, it can be kept up to the standard I want it kept up to, which is only my standard, you know. It doesn't mean I'm better or less or anything else. It's only what it is for me. For me, what it is is something my kids can be proud of and something that uh, I can feel good about, and that's that's what it needs to be, which is something that can stand the test of time. That was the truth. That was what I believed. And at the end of the day, a lot of things go away. Um, money goes away, comes, goes, whatever. Um you know, abilities uh, erode, uh, but reputations, uh, you got to live with them. And I want to live with it. And so I want to say things that don't necessarily always bode well for everybody or, or be agreeable to everybody, but I wanna, it, it's something that I can live with. And the reason I can live with it is because I know it for the truth and not because of it being influenced by anything else. I'm no, again, I'm not perfect. I'm, I can make mistakes, but I know I'm saying what I believe for the reason that I should be saying it, uh, that it's based on my beliefs, not based on things that some of you guys might think, and that's why I'm going into this, on sour grapes or, or anger or hate. or It doesn't mean I can't have those things, but I will not let those things penetrate into this place, this professional place of me giving judgment. Because again, that would influence my reputation. I want to know my reputation is based on what it should be based on. Me, from a professional standpoint, saying what I believe without influence of feelings, emotions, past, uh, hatred, love, Anyway, I love Joe Lewis and what he stands for, but I'm not saying he's the best uh, heavyweight of all time because of love. I'm saying it because of action, because my judgment, my experience tells me that that action makes him deserving of being called the best heavyweight of all time. So with Tyson, I want to just explain to you that it's not sour grapes. Yeah, we got the history we got. Yeah. Um... Yeah, he did something to me that got me to the point where I did something very serious that could have taken his life. Um, yeah, yeah, that's real. But I can tell you, and it may be difficult to absorb, but that does not influence what I say about him and my estimations of him as a fighter. Believe it or don't believe it, up to you guys. But I'm just telling you. So that's why we're going to go down this road a little bit. Uh, what I say about Tyson, good or bad, is not influenced by anything other than the information I have 
and my ability to interpret that information, to analyze and use that information the way I use it, <clears throat> to give me judgment of what kind of fighter, in my estimation, he is, his strengths and his weaknesses. When he first came to Catskill, to me and Cuss, I was training all Cuss's fighters up in Catskill. I was a young kid. I was already up there a few years. Um, we're not going to go into all the genesis of anything, but I've been up there. I was a wayward kid. I had some problems, and uh, Cuss took me under under his wing. When I first went up there, I fought in the going gloves. I won the going gloves, and then I had an injury. I couldn't fight anymore. Cuss didn't want me to fight. I wanted to be loyal to Cuss. I could have went somewhere else. I believed in loyalty. So I didn't go somewhere else. And I still was wayward. I was confused. I was lost. Finally, I um, I found my way and as a trainer. Cuss thought I could be a trainer. Thought I was uh, born to be a trainer. We've talked about it before on episodes. So we won't go into it. And I finally bought in, became a trainer. So I was doing this for a few years. Cuss was semi-retired and I was... Uh, I think it's fair to say I was breathing some life into the gym. The, it was pretty much empty when I got there. And uh, Cus would come there once or twice a week. And uh, now I was there every day of the week and went from no kids in the gym, three kids in the gym, four kids in the gym. It went to like 30 kids in the gym. And uh, I was there training them in for, I guess, about uh, five years maybe. No, no, not five years, three years already. Let's see. Yeah, probably about three years already. Developed the gym, developed the club, and was doing what I was doing. And then all of a sudden, we get a phone call from Bobby Stewart, correction office up in Tryon, about 30 miles outside of Albany, uh, Amsterdam, New York, uh, in a reformatory school, uh, prison. And he had a young fighter named Mike Tyson, who was 12 years old. And he was 190 pounds, and he was all muscle. And to anyone you know, who has kids will recognize 12 years old, 190 pounds muscles is crazy. So, you know, genetics are genetics. And uh, we were to find out later on the travels that just because your body's strong don't mean your mind's strong. You know, just because you have a body uh, that shouldn't belong to a 12-year-old, but it's it's advanced more than it should be for a 12 or normally is for a 12 year old doesn't mean that the mind and emotional makeup is just as advanced and i think that's a good point and that's a fair point and a point that i understood you wouldn't understand it because you weren't there but i firsthand uh experienced it as a young trainer i was learning things too but i was because this guy and i was in the gym every day i was the guy in charge of training everyone who came there so Tyson, we get this phone call from Bobby Stewart. He's a, he's a prison guard. He was a former fighter. And he calls Cuss. He knows Cuss. And Bobby Stewart's 27 years old. He's a light heavyweight. He was a national amateur champ. Also a, a pro fighter. I think he had about 12 pro fights. And he's, he's a prison guard. So he had started... Uh, you know, working with Tyson a little bit when he, Tyson found out he was a boxer, was a little interested. So he's doing a few things, teaching him a few things, making deals with him. Like, if you behave good, you know, 
uh, I'd maybe do a little boxing lessons with you and doing what a prison guard and a decent human being would do, which is not only turn the key when the guy gets into the cell, but if he could also talk to him and see if there was some ways that he could help do what you're supposed to do when somebody's in a reformatory. It means reform, right? Reform. So reform them. You know, see if you can add a little bit of uh, guidance in whatever way it is besides what you're there to do, which is to make sure that the person is supervised and kept, you know, kept uh, locked up. So he calls up, tells Cus, Cus tells me, he says, got this kid, this young kid wants to come down, wants us to take a look at him. We make arrangements. He brings him down. He's got to bring him in a little bit of a, the, the prison band because that's protocol. Mm-hmm. He brings him down and, you know, what are you going to see? Uh, we don't want to see him hit the heavy bag. That don't mean nothing. We know he's green and everything, but if you're going to see, you want to see what's inside, not just outside. You want to pick up the hood of the car. You don't want to just see the body. You want to see if there's an engine in it. So we did something that we wouldn't do. If we wound up taking responsibility to train him, we did something that we wouldn't do again for months and months and months. We let him spar. See, we wouldn't do that again until we taught him properly. Right. But right now, to, it was all about an audition. And we had to see, like I said, we had to see thoroughly what was there, not just outwardly, just not just a 190-pound 12-year-old who was strong and had these physical assets. So he went in the ring and boxed with, I didn't have anyone that size in the gym, so he boxed with Stewart, who I just described, former pro, and um, but smaller than Tyson, but, but 27, Tyson's 12. And <laughs> just, yeah. That just sounds so crazy, a 27-year-old professional fighter aspiring against a 12-year-old little boy. It is what it is and was. Most things happen sometimes. Some maybe they call them prodigies. I don't know. But uh, so he boxed with him. And, you know, you got Bobby Stewart boxing with him. And what you see is you see that Tyson is aware that it's an audition, and so he's trying to be aggressive. He's trying to impress us. He understands this song. He don't know exactly what's going on, but Bobby has told him, you do good here. Maybe these people get involved in your life. So he knows there's something on the line that's pretty big. So he's, you know, he's trying to... I, Cuz was right. I had an instinct to be a teacher. He was right. I don't think that's bragging. Usually I don't say those things, but... I don't think that's bragging or being self-ingratiating because it's true. I, my instincts started coming alive. I, I I could even notice not just the X's and O's and the physical moves, but I could notice that, as the kids would say, he was fronting. He was, he was trying to make me think that he was something that he thought I wanted to, I needed to think he was to say yes, that I wanted to train him. That he was tough and he was he was aggressive and unafraid and all these things and I could feel it that it was he was forcing himself to he was to show that and but all that mattered at the end they also understood that that you know that is all that matters is he was doing it that yeah maybe he was fronting maybe he was 
putting on a show to show me, and he was uh, something that he wasn't inclined to always be, that he was a this and he was sure of himself and all those things. But at the end of the day, that was a precursor to what it took to do it. That that if he could fake it and make me think it, he was still doing it for whatever the ambition behind it was, didn't matter. Mm. He still had the ability to do it. You know, even if he wasn't really that sure of himself and that, you know, wanting to be the boss in the way he was acting and wanting to be, you know, get after the guy and he didn't want to stop. Um, but he really did, didn't want to keep going. But all that mattered was he was able to put forward that front. He And by putting forward that front, he was physically doing those things to put forward that front. That's all that mattered, that he actually was capable of doing it. And um, whether or not he believed it, he did it. And I, I was kind of, was weird. I was, at a young age, I'm a young trainer. I'm recognizing and feeling this and saying, this guy is very aware, really aware of what people see. And like he puts forward what he wants. He projects what he wants to project. And that was something that I found out years later. I had no idea that I would, that he could project things um, and turn into different people when he needed to almost. Um, and that in some ways that had been his background, how he survived. Yeah. You know, he, I mean, this is a kid who we found out afterwards where he grew up in Brownsville that he would hide in abandoned buildings in between walls and abandoned buildings so that the tough guys in the neighborhood wouldn't find them and wouldn't beat them up, wouldn't pick on them. So he knew how to survive. He knew how to be a wall when he had to be a wall and quiet when he had to be quiet. And then there were other times we found out that, you know, he was mugging, uh, he was mugging old women. And um, he was acting he, to get their confidence. He would, he would ask them if they want him to help him carry their grocery bags to the to the elevator and, and to do that in, in a tough neighborhood you had to be convincing because they're sharp they know that there could be predators out there unfortunately so he would have to say ma'am you know with that maybe that lispy voice ma'am uh, can I'd like to help you. so he knew how to change to that so there was a complex thing here that we, we'd find out later as we journeyed later you know and to get their confidence, to be something different when he had to be something different. And later on, you know, if you fast forward for a minute, I mean, when he had to, when he thought he was going to scare somebody by saying, you know, I, you know, I will eat your heart. I will eat your children's heart. I will eat, what? Uh, you know, but again, he would become that um, because he thought that's what he needed to be, you know, to again, to to handle the situation that he was in, to handle the moment, to maybe keep the wolves from the door, yeah. to survive. And he, all of this was part of his upbringing. And we were about to learn a lot of, you know, I remember I said one time to a newspaper guy, you guys don't understand, this guy doesn't know who he is. And they said, what do you mean? I said, have you heard some of his quotes? 
I said, you know who that quote was from? One of, one of those quotes when he said, how dare you? He said to one, one of them, he said, how dare you say that to me when I will kill you for that? I said, that was Lex Luthor in Superman. The newspaper guy was, what? <laughs> oh, my God. I said, that was Lex Luthor. Do you understand? That's not Mike Tyson. That was Lex, but he used that. Yeah. So this is, you know, I'm jumping around in little to give you a little context. So here I am with this 12-year-old kid, uh, and my job is to train any fighter that comes to the gym with cuss and to make a decision on this. So he's in there, and he's 12 years old, but he's pressing the issue. He's physically attacking this guy, and he's, I want to make sure I'm accurate and not exaggerating. Put it this way, he's forcing a 27-year-old former pro to have to actually box and actually, kind of like when you play with your kid basketball the first time and your kid's five years old and you play, you you, you don't really play. You, you let him get the ball, you, yeah. you kind of get in front of him, you let him get around you, you know, you don't really play. And then you come back, I remember this with my son as, as he grew, and then there was a day when all of a sudden I'm playing, and I realize I got to play. <laughs> you're Holy. going, all of a sudden you're going I, full I, speed. I gotta, I, yeah, I got to play. Otherwise, and he's going around me. I'm not letting him go around me. Yeah, yeah. That happened. And it was kind of like that with Bobby Stewart. He, he, he's thinking maybe go easy, and he's realizing I got to go harder just to keep the guy in place yeah. a little bit. So he's going a little harder. He's controlling it, but he's going a little more because he's being forced to. And again, you got to remember the this guy's twelve years old. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so and, funny to think about a twelve-year-old kid but, but fighting the, with a light he's, heavyweight. And he's pro. making a light heavyweight pro go to a certain level just to keep things under control. Yeah, and so it doesn't get out of control. So the house don't go on fire. <laughs> so now you know he's hitting him some bodies, and you can see Stewart doesn't want to get hit those. Yeah. And because he, it's 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 impactful, it's it's strong, and so he opens up enough to bloody Tyson's nose, and this is a important moment too to kind of take note of because I remember later when we obviously we did decide to train him, and at that time he was raw. When we taught him, I remember after he, I didn't let him box again for months and months till he learned what he had to learn. Um, he didn't get another bloody nose for, I don't know, two years. And I th I remember I thought about that one day. I said, you see? People said he was a natural. He wasn't a natural. If he was a natural, he never would have got a bloody nose. He got a bloody nose because he got hit. Yeah. When he was taught, he didn't get a bloody nose no more. Yeah. So it was interesting when if you think of things to that depth. So he... Uh, He's forcing him to keep him in his place. And he gives him a bloody nose. And, you know, he's, he, he, you can see Stewart can't afford to allow him to get into his body and to allow him to attack in a way where, you know, he would take damage. So he's got to be on his P's and Q's. And, he's, and then I, he goes, he winds up going two rounds. And I stop it. I knew at that moment that I was going to be training him from what we saw because he forced a 27-year-old guy to open up on him, basically, yeah. to keep him in control. Otherwise, he might have got caught. Yeah. So I knew I was going to be training him, and I knew what that meant. I had to be the boss. 
and I knew this kid was different from what his background was. I mean, after all, we didn't, not all our kids came up in a prison van. So I knew I had to be strong. So he comes back into the corner, and again, he's projecting what he wants. He wants me to think that he doesn't care about the nose. He doesn't care about, I just want to get at him. And it wasn't true, but he was. I understood it. So he's saying to me, uh, I'm going another round. I said, no, you're not. I'm going, I said, no, you're not, get out. That was it. Because, and Cuss recognized it after. Cuss said, you, you, you know you're going to train him. I said, yeah, no kidding, because you're going to say yes. <laughs> and uh, he said, you let him know who the, I said, yeah, what am I supposed to do? Because that's why, you know, Cuss had to give me the BS. That's why you're a young master. If it wasn't BS, he recognized that you were, that you know what you were doing. He's not paying me, so he had to pay me somehow. (laughs) But anyway, we go and he, I I stop the bleeding in his nose and gets out. And, uh, you know, these mythical stories almost, like they, they, they become fairy tale stories. Like you don't know, like, uh, but it's real. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a fairy tale, twelve year old twin. But sure enough, right there that day, Cus says, "What do you think, uh, Teddy Atlas?" He said, "I think uh, you know if we could teach him, and he's willing to be taught and uh, listen, he's uh, he could be a good, he could be something." And Cus looks at me and says, "Heavyweight champ of the world, your first heavyweight champ, twelve years old." I mean. <laughs> I mean, this stuff, but it it, it, it it came out of his mouth. I mean, you could say why I think Huss was one of the greatest boxing people of all time, too. That's, that would be part of the proof of that, uh, being able to make that kind of statement um, and be right, and be right. But uh, most people say, come on, they, well, hey, that's what he said. So arrangements were made immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Where, since um, that time have you had you before or have you since ever seen a kid that young show that much promise either physically athletically do you ever remember seeing a young kid like that and feel like wow this kid is something special I remember years ago there was an Alex Ramos from the Bronx and he was only about 14, but still, he was 14, 15 years old. Yeah. And he was a welterweight. He was strong, and everybody was talking about him. He, he wound up fighting for a world title, but he never got quite to that place. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> I remember I had a fighter fight him, actually, Kevin Rooney. Um, he used to take him down to the smokers where you get amateur fights in the Bronx and different parts of the city. But Alex Ramos was a guy who was young, 14, you know, he had 100. 14, 15 years old, he probably had 100 amateur fights and he was strong. And But he already was polished. He already had experience. This kid had nothing. Yeah. You know, so uh, I've heard stories. I've heard stories about uh, some of these fighters. I mean, you know, even one that I trained later on, I was blessed. To, I was given the privilege of training him uh, when I probably didn't deserve it. I talked about it on another episode, but with Fredo Benitez, the youngest world champion of all time, 17 years old, he won a world title. And so you feel so crazy to me. What he must have been like when he was 13. Uh, but uh, again, he was already fighting since he was six. Yeah. He started when he was six, his first fight. So 
you know, there's a difference there um, because of those things. Uh, so I've never seen anything like this before or since, but I've heard stories, and like I said, I made some examples. But so we, uh, Cus says, talks to Bobby and says, when is he, when is he, is his uh, release date? When he's going to be paroled? What's the story? And started making plans for him to become a uh, ward of the state, uh, that he'd be, uh, and that Cus would basically become his ward, that he'd come live with us. Uh, so started making, then like, they forgot to ask him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Cus said, uh, <laughs> "How would you like to? <laughs> how'd you like to come live with us and uh, be trained to be heavyweight champ of the world? I'd like it, uh, you know. I think, but uh, yeah, I think I might like that. And you know, this kid had came from Brownsville. He'd been in jails. He'd been locked up thirty times already since he was like eleven." But in places like Spoffitch that shouldn't exist in the planet, you know, uh, jails for for juveniles in the Bronx. And to anyone who hasn't grown up, hasn't grown up place. like that or grown up in a city. I mean, I spent four years working as a guard in a um, prison outside of Boston and grew up in a um, blue collar neighborhood. And um, even with that experience, the thought of some of these places and being sent to these places is, is overwhelming to me. I mean, for a little kid. You know the hellhole that they oh, go. Spotford. The thought of a little kid being put in there without his parents, I mean. Like, I hate to even say, but listen, we're talking, we're talking harsh realities, right? Yeah. Well, you know, when. The emotional <laughs> damage that I must mean, be done to kids. I mean, well, kids get sodomized. Yeah. <clears throat> they get sodomized, things like that. You don't have to go any further. I don't have to say anything else. Exactly. These places shouldn't exist. But um, because that's not the way to re rehabilitate. rehabilitate somebody. Nope. Or punish that's someone. just or, punishment. Or properly punish someone. Because there is proper punishment and that doesn't really get you to where you want to get. No, it creates worse problems. Well, makes a bad problem maybe, a maybe lot worse. Maybe we're explaining some things here. Maybe. Maybe we're explaining some things. So... Having said all that, uh, we make arrangements. Cuz tells me I'll be training him. <laughs> and before he's released, we don't want to waste time. Cuz doesn't want to waste time, especially I'm doing all the work for training him. <laughs> so Cuz says, we're going to make arrangements. Bobby, can you bring him? How often can you bring him up uh, until he's released? How often can you bring him to the gym so Teddy can start training him and not wait another four months? Because I think it was about four months. And... Uh, Obviously, I could bring him once a week. On you can't bring him more. <laughs> no, I I'm surprised him. he didn't say Teddy will come get him. <laughs> oh, Teddy will move into the prison and stay there. <laughs> you know. So he says, uh, "I could bring him on Mondays." I think it was Mondays. Yeah, I could bring him on Mondays, but I got to bring some of the other kids because that's the protocol. I'd have to bring a group of kids, and they'd sit and watch while Teddy trained. Okay, that's what we'd do. So we started doing that. So every Monday we'd come, and before I started with the gym with the other kids, I'd put a hour, hour and a half aside for Mike, and I would train him and teach him. And then he would go back to the to the try-on, the, the reform school, uh, prison, whatever you want to call it, and he would practice those things, you know, and then, of course, the legendary stories are that uh, he, Bobby would go by the cell after lights were out and he'd still be shadowboxing uh, at midnight, 
you know. Friends. And Bobby told you this, though. It wasn't a mythical story. Bobby yeah, told you he well, saw him in there, right? Yeah, he told Cuz, I think. Okay. And I think uh, Cuz told me, I believe. I think that's where I got it from. But, but yeah, I mean, was, uh, that he was, and then he gave him a pair of broken down bag gloves before he ever got to meet us, and that he was, he would sleep with them under his pillow. So, I, you know, it's all good stuff. And um, obviously, the, it showed you that it ignited something in him and gave him some hope. And by the way, in a prison, you'd sleep with anything you didn't want someone else to take under oh, your pillow. That's true. And, uh, and sometimes maybe that might become your pillow, too. <laughs> exactly. But you, so, you know, for those few months, he's coming every and he's learning and, and then he gets released and he comes and lives. And during that time, how's your interaction with them, and how's his personality? Is he, is he a yes sir? Oh, teacher, yeah, is yes, he sir. Very but, polite. But I know, yeah, but I know that that's put on. I remember one day him saying yes sir, and and I remember, I remember, um, I think I said to him, I, I hope my memory's right, but I think I said to him, I, I, the first time I might have said it to myself, and then I think the second time I I said to him. Listen, we don't need the yes, sir. Because I ain't going to, in my mind, I was saying, because they ain't going to last long anyway. Yeah. I know why you're doing it. All right? We're human. We do, we do things. He's coming from where he's coming from. He's trying to, you know, impress me. And he's trying, he knows that I'm, I'm, I'm the guard of the prison, the new prison. Yeah. So to speak. You know, I'm, I'm the, I'm, I'm authority. I'm the authority. So he's trying to be in good with the authority. He's trying to, do what he's got to do to have a, to have a, the position that's comfortable for him. He he he's always surviving. He's always maneuvering, you know. And it's where we came from. Would you guys ever have moments though of like just a yeah. genuine conversation, yeah, we or like two normal guys in the house? Okay, but yeah, we did. But um, but you know, like I said, one time I think I said to him, uh, "Stop with the yes, sir," because I, I just be what you're supposed to be. Be respectful, but you don't need to. Be over the top because uh, yeah, I don't think it's not realistic. It's not going to last, and it's not because you really want to say it. You're saying it because you think you have to, and you don't have to. You just have to do things that really do matter. Actions, yeah, and and consistency, and uh, so you know now he's. And is he getting better on these once a week sessions? Yeah, yeah, How you notice like big yeah. improvements? Yeah. And then when he comes regular and I'm training him every day, he's learning very fast, very fast, like a sponge. And and he's just very athletic. He's very talented. He's very quick. You know, forget about the power. He's got power in both hands. Uh, punches, as I've said on ESPN many times, are born and are made. You teach him the right way to get more leverage and more explosiveness and to get to the target faster. Um but but you either have power or you don't. And you're not really gonna make a great puncher. He's not born to be a great puncher. And you you have to give the delivery system. You have to teach him the technical things to elude the other guy's punches and put himself in position to unload like Gus said to explode those bombs. Yeah. And and so you you start teaching him the style, the technique, which I did every day. And inside, outside, you know, the whole thing, slipping punches. And there's a documentary out there if the people are interested. It's called Watch Me Now. You should see it, actually. You and Rob should look into it. It's called Watch Me Now. It was after I had him a few years. We had him a few years. And he went into his first national tournament, the National um, Junior Olympics up in 
Colorado, Colorado Springs, Colorado, uh, the United States Air Force Base. And he, he went there. He was 14 years old, I believe, 14 or 15. I think he was 14. But whatever it was, the first year was 14. And it was two years in a row that I took him and that he won him. And he won him by first-round knockouts in every fight. Oh, my gosh. And, and more the poor kids there were petrified. I mean, they're, they're, they're kids that look like 14-year-old kids, you know, really. And, yeah, that's and fair, 14, but hey. No, I'm, I'm for, kidding. But, but, but to get to the finals of a national tournament, you've, you've, you've kind of seen and you've been around. You, you, you're not just throwing a guy who just like yeah. came to the gym last week. Well, no, no, this was, this this, was two years later, though. Right, they developed them. And my my point is, the kids he's fighting and knocking on the first round—they're not clowns. They're they're no, like they're, they're no, amateur but, fighters. But if you look at them and you see their bodies, yeah, you know, nature treats everyone yeah. differently. You have no control over your choice of genes. Yeah, and he, um, you know, these kids—they, they, some of them—they had acne on their face. They, they were a little plump. A little chubby and a little goofy, you know, like yeah. adolescents, you know, yeah, yeah, just yeah. starting 15, 14, and a little goofy. Awkward. <laughs> and then you got this, you know, and, and I remember one kid saying, That's Sonny Liston's nephew. <laughs> and their imagination against imagination. <laughs> the ninjas are coming. And the word got out. Next thing you know, there was a rumor around all true because we were staying. You know, in quarters, we was we were staying in we were living in the in dormitories at the Air Force Academy. Was, was was set up and we we had our housing. You know, yeah. So we were staying in, so everybody's hearing things, and next thing you know, we're getting vans to go to the events. We would all get in a van, we go over together, and you'd hear these kids. We'd always be alone, me and Mike. We'd be in the front by ourselves, and you'd hear the kids in the back saying, "That's Sonny Liston's nephew." And what's Mike saying to you when he's hearing this? Is he saying, "Hey, no, Teddy, no, he you hear them? Like They're scared." But he knew. No, he knew. It's a good point, Ken. But he knew because of where he came from. He he knew what to take advantage of, what to use. This is a guy that used to live inside walls when he had to escape, but he had to. So he knew weakness. He knew what worked. He knew this, uh, the law of the jungle, mm -hmm. so to speak. He, he understood things that most kids at that age never would understand. Yeah, he, he understood the strengths and weaknesses of people. He understood fear. He understood how it could be used. He understood how... It, it used him and destroyed him and made him hide. And, he, and now it was his turn to use it. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, he was going to be the, he wasn't, he was no longer the hunter. And now it was, he was the hunter. And he was seeing where you could take advantage of things. He, he was prone to understand those things. And so he would look at me when you'd hear the sunny listen craziness and he just looked like he had a real and he knew he would keep a serious face because he wanted them to see that he wanted to perpetuate these stories and yeah, yeah. so so he would he would take it and and use it and 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 let it run let it let it grow he wanted it to grow he wanted yeah. you it could be helpful so he'd look like this and they would see that and then when he heard it he'd look at me and just a little <laughs> like just a little. Uh, like, that's what I was looking for. Was, no, no, was he like acknowledging? <laughs> you know, just for a second, just for because he knew I knew. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he had to kind of like. So um, it was pretty crazy. So we uh, 
so you know he's and during these trips are you guys having like a good relationship like when you're in there are you taking him like trips he lives in a house for me you have to understand ken he lived for four years whatever it was that he was up there while i was still there i left because of him yeah yeah. but he, I was already up for the. I trained all the fighters. Right, right. right. He, he changed things. I'm just trying to understand, like game. before no, yeah, things no, went we sideways. Yeah, how, how we was the close. interaction? Close. I was his trainer. Okay. I was his. I mean, Cus, Cus was the leader of the house, but I was the trainer. I was the guy in the gym with him every day teaching him. And that's what I mean. When you had, would you have like personal interactions with him? Was it a friendly base? When his mother died. Like, when his mother died, I remember I took my last fifty dollars. I bought him a sweatsuit. Because I felt bad before he went, got on the train, went down to a funeral. Because yeah. it was a terrible thing. Yeah, and and I, because he, I felt bad, and I, that was my way of showing something. And listen, he, uh, we we ate together, we we lived in the same house, but I was, but you know, I had to be the the bad guy sometimes because I was in charge of the, you know, of his development as a fighter and you know the disciplines that went with that as a person yeah and following the rules the same rules even though he was more talented and bigger than anyone else in the gym he had to follow the same rules that i had with of course that, that actually looked like 12 year olds <laughs> you know what i mean yeah so so you know but uh you know i was a trainer because but because was the you know this the surrogate father because was the the, the the father figure Cus was a great custom model, and and um the guy. But in a relationship like that, I almost wonder. I'm the guy hands on. I I'm, I'm the guy you know in the trenches. I'm the guy going to work with him every day. I'm the guy in the gym with him that that has to tell him something he doesn't like to hear, uh, and tells him good things. But hey, what I'm right. getting at is it's like a father and son, and then you got the grandfather who's like always gets to be the good guy because he comes in, gets to yeah. like play around, and like all right, back to your dad, go back to like work, back to the gym yeah i mean a little bit of that yeah yeah some ways maybe a lot yeah but um you know again because you know because was the senior guy because you know because because is the uh the patriarch the of of of, the, of this place of this house and and I'm I'm Cus's soldier. I'm Cus's teacher. I'm Cus's trainer. I'm Cus's right hand man, um, teaching him. But but at the end of the day, uh, he wants to go back and hear the stories uh, at the at the at the foot of Cus, sit in the chair, and hear about how great he's gonna be. Yeah, and and but me, I'm the one who has to administer uh, all the, 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 the punishment. Yeah, I have to do the application of it. Yes, you know. Uh, so put you in a kind of a tough spot because it's easy to identify you as the bad guy because he's hearing everything he wants to hear from bad guy. But but there could be moments, there right? That's times. what I mean. And it got to those moments. Yeah, it got to those moments where it was developing very fast. And you know all that time and all that work, and uh, he he's developing really quick. I mean, we were like when we went to Colorado, we spent that week there. We were together every day. It's me and him against everybody. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. I remember one time they took us to Pikes Peak. It was the one day we didn't box. We used to box every day, and the one day that we didn't box, 
was a day off. It was a Thursday, I think, in a week, Wednesday, whatever. They took everybody to Pike's Peak. And so, again, it's just us and everyone else. And they were all hanging out together, but we're separate. But we knew what that meant. We knew that that gave off a certain aura. <laughs> we knew it. Oh, yeah. We, knew it. we didn't We didn't shy from it. No, of we course. We used it. Yeah. You know, well, that's Everybody them. would. Yeah, so that's them. That's um, here they come, you know. <laughs> And it's just uh, the death squad. Yeah. Know? And and really, these kids, so we're up in Pikes Peak, and <laughs> these kids are all talking, and they're, they're being kids. I beat you, you beat, and they had all competed, and it was down to the semifinals, I think, and there was only a couple left. And so the ones that had lost was talking to the one that, that had won, and the one was, I beat you, you know, Tuesday night, whatever. And he goes, you think you beat me? I let you beat me. And he goes, you, what do you What do you mean you let me beat you? <laughs> I let you beat him because look who you got to fight. You got to fight him. <laughs> and, I, and, and, you know, I, I think the kid might have said something like, you got to fight that monster. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Like something. And did Mike hear him say that? Yeah, we were oh, standing geez. over the site. And Mike, again, Mike's like this. That just and highlights how young about, these kids yeah. are. But, 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 you know, Mike's like, he might growl a little, you know, whatever <laughs> had to be done. And he's, and then he looks at me, <laughs> you know, because it's, and, um, and so it was, and, and we go through, listen, we're training every day and I'm taking them down. I mean, I, you don't understand the closeness. I, I got to take him down to Bronx when the time came for him to finally be ready to fight. And when I finally thought he was ready to fight, I have to pick the opponent. I take him to the Bronx. I got to make sure that he's okay and make sure I get the right guy. How am I going to find a heavyweight? Um, because by this time, he was probably up to 200 pounds, maybe 195, 200, 200 pounds. How, how am I going to find him? He's 13 years old, I think. <laughs> how am I going to You're going to have to find a 20-year-old man to fight um, him at a smoker. Yeah, so I would take him to the smoker, and, and I did. I had to put him in with a 17-year-old. There was... No way that I was going to find anybody, you know. That I, So when I told him that everybody would lie about get, trying to get an edge in these places, you know. And Nelson Corvus ran this. And, and Nelson said, okay, Teddy Woods, put down his age. So I put down 12 or 13, whatever he was. And he says, come, Teddy, come on. Now you go too far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. now you go too far. I said. Okay, you want me to make you happy? I'll put down that he's that he's 18 just to make you happy. He goes, yeah, okay, Teddy. Now you tell them. I said, no, I'm not. I said, he's... He said, now you're telling the truth. Yeah, now you're telling the truth. I said, no, this is what he is. No, I, I, I get it. I see him too. But this is what he is, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a birth certificate. This is what he is. Come on, you've gone too far, Teddy. Come on. <laughs> you, you learned to lie better than us. <laughs> that's a nice compliment I love you too Nelson thank you what a com wow and just for context finally, for people finally, who, and for people who don't know love. these are smokers in the Bronx being run by um, the Spanish guy you just mentioned Nelson, but it's yeah, the proprietor the, of the gym right the gym. but it's, a, it's not an exactly a friendly welcoming environment this is like yeah, an aggressive experience everyone's but drinking so smoking yeah, and, and you got young kids plays the cups you know, young kids in there fighting a very intimidating place yeah and, but but safer than anything else in the neighborhood because it's the only building left standing and um, one of the only buildings. And uh, sometimes on your way up, you'd have to pass all the hypodermic needles. And uh, you know what? It was the most positive thing in the neighborhood because it was a way out. 
It was it was the kids' chance to form themselves into something, to strengthen themselves against the fight that was in front of them, right, in the right way. So I'm not apologizing to nobody. Like oh, it was a tough time. We we were taking kids to become men that needed to become men a little bit quicker. Uh, because of where they were. And it was a positive thing because it was teaching them to take care of themselves, to believe in themselves, to trust themselves, to know themselves, to know that they could say, really, instead of just a stupid slogan, they could actually say no to drugs because they knew themselves. They knew that they could depend on themselves and they could like themselves. And this, 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 this. So it was an important place in the neighborhood. It was, it was doing important work, but it was tough. It was this part of your story around. in your book to yeah. me was the, was the most moving because again, having spent some time in this type of environment, I could relate to it and recognize what you were doing and how difficult it must have been for some of those kids the first time they walked in there. And I know you talk about some of the characters in your book. Exactly. And they're in the country and now they're down in the Bronx. Oh, and I had, and you know how much. Pressure and responsibility was to me to look out for them and make sure they were getting in the ring with the right guys. Exactly what I was getting at is that making sure that they're matched up with kids who are close to their age, close to their weight, close to their more more than anything else, their experience level. Matched up with the kid. My kid was very uh, didn't really green, and everyone lied about the amount of experience. But I went by where we figured it out, and I went by who the trainers were, and uh, I could see things and. And, and and this usually the lion the lying balanced itself out. Everyone was lying and balanced out, but sometimes no. <clears throat> One guy was too much, and there was a day where I just wasn't sure about this match. And my kid really was green, and this other guy was experienced. I thought, and I told Nelson he didn't speak English. I said, "Bring him back in here, and you be the interpreter." The other trainer yeah, didn't speak English, to be clear. And this was about probably a half hour before we were going to fight, go on. And I just had second thoughts. And I told Nelson, I said, you interpret to him. Go ahead. I said, tell him that uh, my kid really only has this. I know we, we all lie here sometimes to get advantages. But at the end of the day, these are real kids. And these kids, I know they matter to you, they matter to me. And it's my responsibility, like it's your responsibility to look out for my kid. And so maybe you get it, you get the better of me this time by saying something and getting an advantage. But if you're not being, I'm asking you now to please be truthful and tell me if your kid is more experienced, which I think he might be. Because my kid really doesn't have those fights. And I have, as you do, responsibility to look after my kid. And you might get away with something and trick me. But I will not need any more proof. I will not need to see anything other than how your kid fights to know how many fights he has when the bell rings. And when the bell rings, if that's what I see, and it's too much. There's two things that are going to happen. One, I'm going to stop the fight because I'm not going to let my kid get hurt. But damage would have been done already because my kid will lose his confidence. But I will stop the fight before he can lose more than that. But then a second thing will happen. I will start coming over to you. I said, 
and I, I just like that. I would come over to, and you understand, it's, it's not a threat. It's, a, it's not. I'm telling you something now because I don't want this to happen. Because I don't. I just want you to understand. I don't. It, I want the truth. I don't want this to happen. But if I do see that, I will stop the fight, and then I will come over. That's why I didn't say I come over, kick you. He understood exactly what it meant. And without going across the line and acting like I'm trying to try, I, I was telling him it's a difference. And I was telling him there was a purpose behind it. It wasn't just to see, you know, who's tougher than a, or for a macho or for ego or, or, or because they, they used to bet on the fights. Of course. It, it, it had nothing to do with anything but what it was supposed to do with making sure my kid don't get hurt and protecting my kid. And if you hurt my kid, well, do the same thing you would have done. He, he understood. And he just looks at me, I look at him, and I ask, just went like this. He looked at me. I said, just let me know. He said, it's not a big, there'll be nothing. You, you let Nelson know. Please. Basically, help both of us. Yeah. And uh, he left. He walked out, and uh, he called Nelson. And he talked in Spanish to Nelson. Nelson came back to me and said, uh, Senor uh, Sanchez, say uh, he's not going to fight your fighter. I said, go, please tell him thank you. That's one of my favorite stories from your whole book. Yeah, thank you. Because no, that's no, an important yeah, thing I mean, to understand. And and so this is what the atmosphere, and this is what we lived in. This is what we worked in. This is what we we were in. So we had to be prepared for it. And uh, there was no sleepwalking. And it was great responsibility that went with this. So I... Um, when, when I was down and, and took Tyson... Again, just like I explained to you about that kid, yeah. I did the same thing for him. Yeah, and even though he was, and he had to fight older guys because the, the physical science of it told you that he had to. The, uh, there was no getting around the physicality, the physicality of it. I wasn't going to find a twelve-year-old that size. Yeah, but the other thing is, but yeah. I had to make sure the kid was, you know, that he could handle. But Tyson, I knew he could handle. Long story short was. He, when I put him in the fight with him, he uh, he he knocked the kid out. The seventeen, his first fight. That's what I was gonna say. Is though the other important thing there is just like you were protecting your guy. I know you. I know you're a good person. You're not gonna let Mike Tyson get in there with a thirteen year old kid with three fights and get massacred, no, right? Not. Never. So, like, but but we couldn't find one anyway. But, exactly. But no, of course not. But. He fought this 17-year-old who was more experienced than him because Tyson had no fights. But Tyson was taught well, and he had the physical gifts that he had. And uh, he wound up knocking a kid out. And then there was another, uh, there were other matches, and it got to the point where I used to have to pay the trainers to to give me. I would give fifty dollars to Nelson, and Nelson would use it to give to one of the trainers. Uh, to to bring a kid from a gym to to fight him, uh, can you imagine? This? Would you ever tell Mike, "Hey, Mike, if you're outclassing the kid, don't hurt him"? Like, no, but you, we didn't get to that place. If if in in the gym, I would all the time. Yeah, but 
but not we didn't get to that place in a fight yet. We didn't get to a place where we knew that we had that where we knew that we had that cushion um, to be able to to play it that way. You know, where these guys were experienced. I, 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 I couldn't put that in, in the equation because I could put my guy at jeopardy. I couldn't do that. I had to look out for Michael. Um, so, I mean, there was a time where I couldn't get a fight, so I agreed to put on an exhibition with a kid with bigger gloves and headgear. But I understood it didn't matter. All that mattered was that he was going to go through the process of the nervousness of the fight, uh, getting a fight in front of a crowd, going through the waiting, uh, that he would go through the process that would equate into what it had to equate into, experience, yeah, yeah, yeah. and getting him better, even though we called it an exhibition. When he was young like that, would he understand, though, if you told him, Mike, don't hurt the kid? Like you, but, you, Well, it was, but he understood the laws... You know, the laws at a young age, better than most people did, of, of the world and of the street, of, uh, you know, of of people not keeping their word, of people looking for an edge. Of He understood that better than most people because of where he came from. So when I put him in this exhibition that they were going to, it was called an exhibition, bigger gloves, bigger, yeah, yeah. but they go out there. I knew what the other guy we agreed, okay, that's, you know, we're going to box and we're not trying to kill each other. But I knew I have to look out for Mike. Yeah. I knew that this other guy was older. Mm-hmm. I knew that this other guy would not keep his word. So I just said to Mike, be alert. Yeah. See what he does. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, but but still, he's not capable. He's not in charge of himself enough, sure of himself enough to be able to go easy and feel that he can do that and and not be in jeopardy. Right. You have to be experienced to of do course, that. Of course, of course. So I guess that's what there. I'm getting at. Yeah, is but like, he's in there listening to me and he's working. But the other guy's looking to knock him out. Of course. So it's, uh, within a minute, Mike made a miss. Pop, pop, pop. You know, and it's over. Yeah. And um, and there's a problem. But you can tell right no, away when you're in the ring if you if you think someone's going easy and then they're not going easy. No, it only takes it, one or two punch. Right away. Yeah, that's what he I mean. Knew it. But there was a problem right away because now his trainer jumped up in the ring to go after Mike. Mm-hmm. I went immediately after him. Yeah. And so you asked what kind of relationship he was. I, I, I was his. I was his father. His big brother, whatever you want to call it, even though Cus was the patriarch of, of everything. But I'm the guy there with him every day. Right. I'm the guy who has to look out for him. Cus is in Catskill. Yeah. And I'm the guy who, in the South Bronx now, with guys that it wasn't uncommon to carry guns and knives and other stuff in, in the company that we were keeping here. And to, and to people that, who are listening to this, they might not know this is not bullshit. The, the Bronx is not like a place to clown but around. This is, this is back in the. This is 30, you know. That's what I mean. 35, 36. These were know, like whatever, dangerous places at the time. Listen, it was the only haven for something good, the only uh, fortress against some of the really ugly stuff out there because these kids did have a chance to find themselves, to yeah. to form, to 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 get out, um, to to 
forged themselves against, as I said earlier, the things that they had to fight mm-hmm. and and to, to be able to fortify themselves. Yeah. But I'm, I'm a, I jump in the ring, I go right after the trainer. Mm-hmm. And we got each other by the throat and because he's trying to get after Michael. I said, you may take another step. I'm freaking, you know, we got each other like this. Yeah. And uh, you, you, you move any closer to him, you know, I'm going to freaking... Because you know, at the time, Mike's only 13 years old, yeah. right? I'm going to break you. I'm protecting him. I'm going to break you. So Mike's behind me, you know. The other poor guy, I don't know if he woke up yet. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and Mike's behind me. And, you know, I remember before it started, when the guy first started coming in. So um, I jump up in the ring, the guy. And I jump up in the ring. And the guy's coming in the ring. And I go right after him because he's going right towards. He's not even looking at me. He's going right after Mike. So I go right after him and I intercede. We got each other. And then I tell him, I freaking break your jaw and, you know, whatever. And we're we're in a standoff. And, um, you know, I push him. I push him off. uh, And he backs up. And Mike goes right behind me. And Mike says, what's going to happen? I remember this. He was still a kid. Yeah. He, was, he goes, what's going to happen, Ted? I said, nothing. Just like that. I said, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen to you. Nothing's going to happen. He goes, you know, and it, it's what he wanted to hear or hoped to hear. I said, nothing's going to happen. And and then he saw that um, nothing would be allowed to happen to him and basically say if something happens to gonna happen it's gonna happen to me and it ain't you ain't gonna we ain't gonna let nothing happen to you yeah all right yeah and um whether or not i could really live up to that but i was sure as hell gonna try and so i got rid of that guy a few other guys got near the near the ring post you know and i started these guys know that this is a little kid right no no they don't because he don't look like a little yeah, kid. i got you okay but he looks anything but it. Okay. It's Sonny Liston's nephew. Did you forget? <laughs> That's true. That's true. So, so, and they don't care. They only care about what they care about these people. I got don't you. you yeah, yeah. No, no, no. So with now with that, a few other guys get up there. So I go over there. I got to be aggressive. And I say, the figure one. Yeah. You know, so it's really kind of. And it's just you and your kids. There's no one else there yeah, with you, right? No. And, but Nelson. You know, we all have our allies in different ways, but uh, the allies come out of respect. Yeah. Out of what they see, how you behave. Yeah. What you do. Nelson used to carry a gun in his belt, mm-hmm. you know, and he would show it. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, Nelson, you know, Nelson was smart. Talk about street smarts, you know, this is where he lived. He immediately picked up the microphone. And he knew, well, how often do I say in this microphone, you got to know your terrain. You got to know your environment. Mm-hmm. Where are you? Yeah. He knew where he was. He knew that there was betting. Even though it was supposed to be an exhibition, he knew it. And he immediately said, oh, everything off, this is a draw. Well, it's a draw. The guy's still sleeping. <laughs> but but he was he was brilliant. Yeah. It's a draw. In other words, nobody loses money. And I didn't even realize. I didn't until I heard it come out of the microphone. I said, oh, that's, the, the trainer was different. That was personal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rest of it was about they lost money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> <laughs> I 
And the legend of Tyson was started. It was started. And you know how it was started in his first fight? He knocks this 17-year-old kid off, out. And was that the first smoker he'd ever been to? Yeah. Okay. And he knocks him out. Pretty good fighter the guy was. Yeah. But Tyson slipping. Bang! 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 I mean, it was like, holy shit. In your mind, were you I thinking was, like, holy shit, oh, this like kid he's is doing on. it. I just was like, he's actually doing <laughs> what we trained to do. Holy, but with speed and power and precision. Because you had to have some doubts because you knew he had the physical gifts, yeah, but, but when the lights are on and now you're in the ring in a real fight, but, but he that's different than the gym. But, but he was front running. He was still, but it didn't matter. He was still doing it. That's what I mean. I found out some of the holes. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you don't know if you go to buy a house and uh, you want to make sure the, the plumbing's good. Right? Yeah. So you put the heat on 70 and so, and it, it seems good. Yeah. But now you put it on 90 and... <laughs> all of a sudden pinholes start popping because the yeah, pressure yeah, can't yeah, handle yeah, the pipes yeah, yeah. show you the holes that the pipes have you didn't they don't show you those holes in 70 yeah. they show you those holes in 90 <laughs> so I didn't know what holes he had yet I had an idea yeah. but what holes he might have yet because we weren't at 70 we, we weren't at 90 we were only at 70 yeah. but he still was doing it yeah yeah but but I would find out the holes later when when the tests would come right, you right, find right. out the holes in people when the tests come not just right. the when the tests come when the pressure comes yeah like, yeah we'll get to that I just want to no, know no, but first at 70 no, though you're like oh my god new heating system here's the legend of he, he's 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 making a mess bang 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 hitting him with combinations three points come, and then all of a sudden he pins him on the ropes he hurts the guy the guy goes up again up against the rope and he comes in bang, bang and he hits him a left hook and the guy's head goes like this his body goes like this he falls outside the ring I mean you talk about Hollywood and his mouthpiece goes flying about <laughs> really about probably 10 yards 10 yards maybe 20 feet whatever it was but 10 yards back and and it winds up in somebody's lap like like in the like that's sitting there, like you know, they eating. They used to serve the Spanish foods, like the the the, the potato stuff with the meats and the fried bananas. Yeah, plantains. The plantains. <laughs> on, side, on top of one of their plantains, mouthpiece. You know, you ever have a plantain with a mouthpiece in it? Have you? No. Don't try it. Don't try it. And 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 the one thing I left out was. Just before the mouthpiece, because it was a two punches, it was like bang, bang, or maybe bang, bang. His head goes this, so bang, bang. And so his head goes this way, boom, goes that way. With the first one, the sweat, like they had dumped water on his head. Yeah. So the water goes flying, and, and it literally, it goes flying, and it hits the back wall. And, you, and it's like uh, you hear a bang and then right behind it with the next punch comes the mouthpiece into the plantains <laughs> you talk about Hollywood you talk the legend of Mike Tyson was started but the point I'm making when you're trying to get an idea why when we're going to do this mythical uh, me and him were a team I, uh, he, he was my he, he was my responsibility that's what I'm trying to understand was, is no, the, how, like, was, the relationship but, was but, when but, things but was were early. Other, he was my kid. Yeah. He was my kid. And, and but then, you know, kids go, kids can go different directions. Yeah. And they can test boundaries. Oh, and he trust me, I know. boundaries. He started testing boundaries and he started finding out that 
that with me, he couldn't get away with things because it was my job not to let him get away. But at home with Cuz, you know, who knew he was going to be, this was going to be his last champion. Cuz knew that already. Yeah. Cuz knew things. He was smarter than me. He knew things. He was older than me. He knew this was going to be his last champion. And Cuz started making little concessions, but I didn't make them. Not because I was stricter or better or harsher. Cuz was plenty harsh with him, everyone else throughout his life when he had to be. But it was just that I was regimented in. I For me, it was it was simpler for me than it was for Cuss. I wasn't 70 years or whatever it was at that time. I wasn't at the point that I'd been through a whole lifetime. I was a kid. I, I had a responsibility. It was, it, was, it was simple. It was basic. It was black and white. It was A and B. It was real simple. It was go teach kids to be fighters, teach kids to grow up, teach kids to be stronger, to, to teach kids to, to, to be disciplined, teach Kids to stand by the rules. I, I had rules where if you didn't, didn't pass, if you failed two subjects in school, you added the gym. Yeah. I had rules, and for a reason. And get kids on the right track, on the right path. Lead kids. Be a leader, and and teach them the right things. Protect them. Teach them to get away from punches, but also teach them to make the right decisions. Teach them to, and if they don't, that there's repercussions in the gym, in the ring, and outside. Teach them that. And so it was simple for me. It was simple. Seven days a week, I taught. Seven, that was my job. It was simple. It was complicated for Cus. He'd been through a lifetime of this, and now it was about having one last champion. It was different. It was harder for him, easier for me. He didn't me, want to do anything to lose me, him, right? It was just simple. You do something wrong, guess what? Then there's there's a there, there's an answer for doing something wrong. There's a repercussion for doing something wrong. Uh, this is what we're gonna do. You're out of the gym. Cuss is thinking, well, well, wait a minute now. We can't throw him well, out. Wait a minute now. You know. So it was more. It wasn't because it, it, it was easier for me. It was. I didn't have the pressures. I didn't have a lifetime standing in the balance of things that it all came down to possibly one last shot. Yeah. I, I wasn't at that place in life. I was at a beginning place, yeah. a jumping off place. And for me, it was easy to, to, to understand that it was just you, the kid abides by the rules. If you don't, I put him out there. For Cus, it was different. And Cus started making, he started making concessions and, I didn't understand it. He started compromising things. And the problem was that Mike was, he was a special kid. He was a special kid. He had his demons and everything else like we all do. But, and he came from this place, but he, he was special in a way, not just physically, but that he understood when somebody was being weak. He understood when you, were getting where you could get away with certain things and you could manipulate certain things like he did from where he came from. Yeah. He he understood how you could get an edge um, because you had a gun or you had a reputation. He was also probably picking but, but, up but, on the conflict but, but, between yeah, but, you and Cuss. The gun, the night, it was different. He understood what he had. Yeah. He had something now that he had something where it influenced Cuss. Where he could, where he could, he could leverage it. He could move it. He could use it 
to an advantage for him, to make things easier for him, to have Gus on his side. Yeah. He saw that and he played that. And and it took us to a bad place. It took us to a dangerous place. Because when when he started behaving a certain way in in school and pushing uh, girls into bathrooms in a hall when the hall was busy and just bump them into a bathroom and maybe touch them or something or, or you know, or in the lunchroom, maybe tell a teacher uh, when he wasn't in class uh, that, you know, when the teacher would say, what are you doing in the lunchroom? You're supposed to be in the class. And then he would get mad. He didn't deal with authority. authority. And he would take a, a, a milk container out of a milk bin and throw it. And, you know, he could throw hard yeah. and smash it against the wall and because he was mad or, or, or you know, uh, be uh, threatening other kids or uh, maybe doing other things to other kids and stuff. So when it when it, when I heard about this from my kids in the gym, the thing that was disturbing was I wasn't hearing it from Cuz. Cuz had a had a direct pipeline with the principal and the vice principal. Uh, I was just hearing it from my kids that were in the gym. Because all Cuss's kids are going to this school yeah. that's near and his near his compound. Yeah, sorry. So all the kids from the yeah. Cuss's in your yeah. camp are going to the local it's school. Gym, but but I'm the one in there every day. Right. Cuss would come one day a week to see how things were going. But my point is, they they had to go to school too. These are little kids. They're in school. Yeah. And Cuss and and Tyson's in school, and that's part of our responsibility. Gotcha. When he was given over from the state. Uh, and Cus was given the responsibility of having him in the house. Part of that responsibility was to go to school. Yeah. And so I, again, it was simple for me. I just, I put him out of the gym. When yeah. I found out these things, I put him out of the gym. Then Cus put him back in the gym. And then we had a problem. Me and Cus never had a problem. We yeah. never had a problem. Now we had a problem. But now it caused a problem with Tice because now he looked at him as the good guy and me as the bad guy. Yeah. But not really because he was too smart for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knew the power he had. He knew he had the power to make things, to manipulate and to, to, to turn me and Cus against each other and, and to get his way. And it led to other things. And, and it, it led to him being defiant. And listen, I understood where he was coming from. Uh, I understood uh, the difficulties of his past where they could haunt him. I understood that. But I also understood that he needed to abide and by rules and that was part of why he was coming from where he was coming from and that if we didn't if we didn't have him abide by rules and respect other people respect other things like he would get angry like if a girl said no to him he'd get angry like he those things just like we had to correct things in the we wouldn't waste a second me or cuss correcting if he dropped his right hand oh my god you better not drop your finger now you get a shadow box for the next 10 rounds hold your earlobe <laughs> but yet yet if you're gonna use your anger because a girl said no to you or whatever uh, that's gonna be tolerated that's gonna be under, uh, allowed to or, or that you're gonna uh, threaten a teacher or or a kid or whatever it is in, in what we're talking about 
that's going to be tolerated. That's going to be okay because it's outside the gym and and the the progression in the gym is still good and the and the learning in the gym is still good no because if you don't learn those things outside you will not ever be anything inside if you don't learn to control yourself outside you'll never control yourself inside to when the these, degree that we're that we're responsible for taking him and teaching him when these things are happening at school, was there? Did you ever have like just a one-on-one -on -one moment with Mike, where you sit down just rationally and calmly, like a, like like you would of with your children, say, "Mike, kid. Mike, why are you doing this? Why why would you talk to someone like that? Why would you tell the but, teacher?" But it was already uh, we did that at the early stages, but then it was already to the point where he didn't have to hear it from me because Cus Cus would step in. Cuz would step in and go meet with the principal and and work it out. But when you're talking to Mike one on one, how is the how's he responding when you're trying to appeal to his sensibility of like, Mike, what are you doing? Not well you, sometimes because he knows on the other side that there's an out. And when you would go talk to Cuz and say, Cuz, we can't have this. We can't let him get away with this. You can't keep sugarcoating this stuff. We're creating a monster. If he thinks he can get away Cus, with this. Cuz said Basically, I know what I'm doing. This is a special situation, you know, and, um, you know, basically, if we don't, because years later, you don't know how much of it's true, but I had heard Mickey Duff used to go up there, brought Frank Bruno up there when I was there. Um, then later on, as Frank Bruno was developing as a pro boxer, Apparently, he brought him up there again when I was gone. And he would go up there. And supposedly, Mickey had told me that Cus said to him way after everything happened and I was gone that Teddy was right. Um, but the thing was, Teddy could have stopped a great fighter from being developed. He could have gotten in the way and... Basically, I couldn't let that happen. Uh, Teddy was right. He wasn't wrong about stopping him from doing things and disciplining and controlling and different things because Cus was having other problems that were being kept under wraps a little better. And yeah. so they weren't under wraps anymore, yeah. you know, because they, they, they had the resources to keep them under with Jim Jacobs and Bill Caton. And, uh, I mean, there were cases where supposedly things happened and, there were payments later on that were, yeah. that were made, you know. I mean, based on everything we know, well, that doesn't seem that far-fetched, well, clearly. But um, supposedly he said to Mickey Duff this, and um, that, you know, Teddy was right, but, but where he was wrong was he, he would have stopped, he basically would have stopped the development of, of, a, of a great fighter. You know, potentially great fight. Maybe whatever. yes, maybe no. Maybe well, had he been forced to leave, had some time to reflect, maybe, maybe he, he could have been back. both. Yeah, all right. That's my my idealistic uh, answer, if you right. want to call it that. All right. That and maybe, this is why I wanted to talk to you about this could, because to me, he, there was always a weakness in him, and there was always a inherent weakness that never really got strengthened. That. When you stood up to him and when he couldn't, and that's why I say these things. I say it out of information, you guys. It's not out of sour grapes. It's, I hope that he's in a good place now and that he's found a good place. 
I'll say it again. I hope he's in a good place and he's found a good place. Um, I was there with him at the beginning. But, you know, he did things that were hurtful to me and my family. But I, as I said earlier, feel that a responsibility and an ability to be able to put that aside when it comes to assessing something professionally. Uh, I have to. I have to be able to do that. Otherwise, things that I say, they can't be trusted. And things that I, I say have to be trusted. Because I have to believe in what I say. And I have to believe that I can live with what I say five years, ten years, fifteen years after I say them. And that my kids can live with them. So I care about that. I care about what I say. That's more important than, than anything that happened. That doesn't mean it don't happen and I don't have feelings uh, privately for that and dealt with it the way I had to deal with it. Yeah. But when it comes to saying my professional opinion, it's not influenced by that at all. And But I... But when I say things about the weakness of Tyson and the strength of Tyson, but when I talk about the weakness, it's because I'm informed, because I was there, because I know. And, you know, he always, I, I remember as a kid, I'd have to get in the ring when he was sparring guys. If he didn't knock them out, he started making silent agreements. He started putting his hands behind. I would get in there, boom, I, I punched the gloves out. I, boom, get, get your gloves out, hands out of there. Because he was making a silent deal because he couldn't control the guy. He couldn't He couldn't physically run the guy over. So now he was putting his hands behind him like, if you if you um, don't hit me, I won't hit you. That was the, without words. Yeah, that, that, was, that was exactly what was being said. He knew it. He understood. And they didn't want to get hit by him. Because he was physical. So they go along with it. They'd hold on. And then next thing you know, you have a silent agreement. Mm. You'd have a clinch. Now, most people would, it's just a clinch. Yeah. No, it was more than a clinch. <laughs> a lot more. And so I would stop from doing that. But and me and Cus would talk about it. Cus would be glad I did it. Yeah. Because it was going to make him a better fighter. A stronger yeah, 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 fighter. Yeah, yeah. But what about being a better person? A, better, a stronger person? And in, in those ways. And, and... In, in the same ways where I feel that he never quite got strong enough, together enough, just formed enough, if whatever you want to call it, where he was strong enough to be able to control his emotions and... and to be able to really face the things that he had to face when he didn't have the upper hand, where he didn't have the edge, where he didn't have his way, where he didn't, you want to use the word character, but he didn't have the wherewithal, the character, whatever you want to call it, to face what he had to face because he was never forced to do that because there was the physical part always did it for him. Yeah. Because he was never, and because his his physical ability was so great, just like some young basketball kids that maybe they get their way when, when they're kids and 
and the teachers in the school and, and, and some basketball girl tells him, uh, we're going to give him an Adidas deal. Uh, let him do what he wants. And, and he's allowed, and he's not forming emotionally. He's not forming as a person. He's not forming the way that your kids are forming and that all, that, that all kids should be given a chance to form. Because, because the selfishness on the other side, we're feeding into their selfishness because our selfishness says we, we want to be able to make money with them. We want to be able to have a great basketball player. We want to be able to have a great fighter. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand so, clearly. So, so now, and that's what people don't get sometimes. They only get part of the story. They get what they want to see. Because we all see what we want to see. They see this great physical thing that knock guys out, kid dynamite, knock a guy sideways, crook, and, and saying the things. You know, that's cool. It's, all, it's almost like a Nintendo game. It's like one of those... those, those uh, They that, actually did make those, a game those, about those it. Mike Tyson's knockout. You know what I mean? It's, it's like if you like Iron Man, you, you know, whatever, Spider-Man, you know, wow. You know, and but... But... It's not so wow when Spider-Man's hurting somebody's daughter, you know, doing some of these things that aren't, you know, so fantastic. The one thing I ways. just want to add I quickly. I want to finish, if I can, that if, I, if I'm explaining it right, and am I? Yeah, clear as day. That some of these things that he, he stayed weak because we developed him in the gym. We taught him to slip. We taught him to punch to the body around the elbow and then bring the uppercut up to open up an opening there. I mean, we taught him the spots to hit. If you can't hit him here, hit him behind the ear, hit him on top of the temple. We taught the liver with the left hook that it would debilitate the guy and it take his legs away. We taught him all those things. But what we needed to teach him was that there's other strengths and other talents, and other responsibilities besides slipping a punch and countering with a quick double left hook. It was the responsibility of caring about other people's feelings too. And sometimes when you have somebody who's, like I said, we laughed, 12 years old and he's 190 pounds, and, you know, and he can beat up uh, he can force 27-year-olds to open up on him <laughs> just just to stay in the ring with him. Well, sometimes when you have that kind of situation, you're you prone to let the person, you know, you get caught so much up in what that can mean for you and how that means you were around somebody special, something unusual, that you f you see what they can give you and what they can do for you and for themselves in certain ways, but you forget what your responsibility is at that point. As you said, he's still a kid to do for them, to make sure that they learn to do for themselves. They yeah. don't learn that part. They they don't get forced to look at that part. They don't get forced to, to, uh, to be understanding and responsible for that part, that it's a two-way street, that, that you... It's not just about your power and the power that you can maneuver people because of your potential greatness, but it's about being able to live with yourself. It's about being able to, to you know, contain yourself 
It's, it's about being able to care about more than yourself. And those things take teaching. Yeah. They take teaching. We give teaching to everyone on those things. And he wasn't, I'm not making him sympathetic. I'm not making him um, disavowed of the responsibility that he had responsibility, but it was also responsibility of the people around him. Yeah. To form those things, to make him adhere to that understanding. Teddy, let me just interrupt for one minute. I just want to point out to people that, number one, we had to talk you into doing this. So if anyone out there is listening and thinking Teddy's going off on a Mike Tyson um, rant or tirade again, that's not the case at all. We've asked him to provide some context to the background of their relationship so we could get to these mythical matchups that we'd like to see. And um, additionally, for people who think that Teddy might be sour grapes about Mike Tyson. I think you're misinterpreting. Teddy Alice going into the Hall of Fame has trained 17, 18 world champions, and Mike Tyson's done what he's done. They both have had their own career paths and their own journeys in life. And, uh, you know, part of the reason I wanted the Teddy to elaborate on this, the background here is so that people could have a better understanding and the reason why I thought it would, this forum would make the most sense is because we don't have time limits with it. It's not something that has to, that we have to be limited by a soundbite on a regular network programming. So anyway, I wanted to add that in. Um, with that said, we're going to cut here. This will be a multi-part segment of our mythical matchup. We'll pick it up where we left off uh, in a coming episode. And I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this background and uh, stay tuned for more. Please subscribe, continue to support the show. Thanks for everything.